If you're listening to B2B Better, chances are that you work in an industry that is somewhat set in its ways when it comes to marketing. Certainly my experience is like that, working for companies that have run the same playbook for years, if not decades, and they're just left feeling like things could be better. It's not that they're bad per se. Our trade show booth at the one big industry conference each year generates a solid number of leads. We get our PR fixed by being placed in a couple of industry mags. Overall, our leadership teams aren't unhappy, but neither are they jumping for joy. It's all just perfectly average. Pivoting is hard. We may see an opportunity to do things a bit differently, but what if this new way doesn't work as well as the old way? Now, there are several notable examples of companies pivoting from traditional marketing approaches and changing how they sell to buyers. Some of the most successful ones include Adobe, who transitioned from selling box software to a subscription-based service that they call Creative Cloud. They bolstered this pivot with a content-rich strategy, including tutorials, blogs, launching a community. In 2012, when they launched, they made $200 million. In 2020, they reached $10 billion. Red Bull, a B2C brand, repositioned itself as a lifestyle company and created content around extreme sports and events. And now they have a dedicated team known as Red Bull Media House that drove over 8 million concurrent live streams of the Stratus Jump from outer space a few years ago. Now I know what you're thinking. Adobe is a tech giant, Red Bull an iconic consumer brand. What about our company in manufacturing, construction, professional services, industries that are staunchly stuck in their old ways? Today's story is about a B2B company that was using events and trade shows to drive their business like all the companies in the space. We are in an industry that's transitioning and an industry that isn't actually necessarily completely ready for that. And so there is still an expectation in our industry that you have to be visible at these trade shows. It's quite funny, the crappy wheel that you spin there, right? Because we've been known to have them. Um, And yes, I would argue that at energy trade shows, we're probably 10 steps behind marketing trade shows, right? In the marketing world, in the content world, those sorts of things feel old hat. But in the energy industry, right, like no one's done them before. You go there and somebody's got a piece of paper with what they do written on it that they've photocopied loads of times. You can pick one up, you can book a meeting, right? Helping us tell this story today is a non-traditional marketer who was a teacher for 10 years before he actually got into the game. And he told us a little bit about how the two fields, teaching and marketing, may be more closely related than you would think. I, I always get asked, like, how on earth did you end up doing content? But I actually think those two things are pretty similar. Old school utilities who have been around for decades, who are now entering the battery market, even though that's new. They kind of understand the landscape in which that exists. And then you've got kind of disruptors who are... Battery specialists haven't really been involved previously in energy and utilities, but but saw an opportunity and kind of joined at the first stage. And our ICP is kind of a mix of both of those things. We're looking for the person who makes the decisions, the investment decisions, the planning decisions, the ownership decisions, the operational decisions, right? So the, the idea with batteries, battery energy storage in particular, is they're kind of unique in that they can both import and export energy. I'm not going to get too into the details of how that works or any of the science, but that makes them unique from like a wind farm or a coal plant, which only produces energy and exports it. Can't take it back off the grid. And so batteries can do all these complex things and help the grid in different ways. And most of our customers, most of our ICPs are already extremely knowledgeable. This is a niche thing that they're making a success of. 
And so we have to take that into account when creating content, right? We have to produce novel content that will make them go, wow, even though you know, they're already experts. So that's a really difficult line to tread. One of the ways we do do that is we understand that they're parts of large organizations that are going to grow really quickly. They're going to have to hire graduates. And so we've produced like a free training program for them. You know, lots of people in university are going to have to join this industry. If it turns out there's a future genius who found out and got into battery energy storage because of Modo, and later down the line, they end up being a decision maker somewhere and they want to come and work somewhere and they have Modo front and center of their mind. And that's a massive benefit for us as well. In that if you're attempting to explain the energy market to somebody, to a new graduate, that's not that different a thing from explaining of mice and men to a room full of students with a lower reading age than their actual age. Right? You're still taking a complex block of information and kind of breaking it down in ways that newbies can understand. It also features a company willing to bet on value-first content with an incredible story of how much it impacts their bottom line. But for that, you'll need to listen to the whole show about how our guest saw what was broken, thought about new ways to fix the marketing mix, and get better results than what they had traditionally seen. Let's go. Here are the basics. I'm Neil Weaver. I'm a content editor at Modo Energy. Modo Energy is primarily a data analysis platform for battery energy storage owners, operators, and investors. So it's pretty niche. Within the renewable energy world, we work with like one specific technology at the moment. And my role at the company is to create content, to edit content, to, to put content out there. We're a bit unique in the industry in that a lot of our content is free. A lot of our content is accessible, short videos, and we try to be as high value as possible. With AI, commoditized content is going to make it much harder to rank in search engines. To stand out, you're going to need subject matter experts in your field that help make it speak to your ICP. But a big challenge is how do we produce content that appeals to experts while also catering to new customers who don't know the sector or indeed even that they have a problem in the first place? The energy industry in particular is going through a massive transition from fossil fuels to renewables. They call it the energy transition. Technology is making massive advancements in how we keep our lights on. Yet in terms of how vendors within this sector market themselves, it's still steeped in traditional strategies and tactics. For Neil, he approached it like any quality teacher or indeed marketer and began learning the material himself so that he could pass it along to the average person. My knowledge of the energy industry was I flick a switch, light comes on, uh, and at the end of the month I pay bills. And I think for a lot of people, that's basically where it starts and ends. And sometimes you see stuff in the headlines that explain a bit more. We are running out of gas reserves in Europe, and so our electricity prices are going up. But again, that's probably as much understanding as anyone ever has. And behind the scenes, there are actually loads of complex markets and mechanisms that are going on all the time, 24-7, in order to keep the lights on. But ultimately, they aren't that different from any free market, right? They all follow the foundations of supply and demand. And so what we're trying to do, especially in renewable energy, we're going to need, it's going to be one of the fastest growing industries in the world over the next 10, 20, 50 years. And that means we're going to have to bring in a lot of outsiders, people who don't specialize in energy, people who don't inherently understand it. And so we need to get them up to scrap as quickly as possible. 
And the way we're not going to do that is by relying on old school consultancies to charge $10,000, £10,000 for a report to get everyone up to scratch. We need to basically say, look, it's not that complex. Here's how it works in its simplest form. And we need to give that away for free, right? Because otherwise we're going to get nowhere. That progress is going to be far slower than we actually need it to be. The energy sector is a blend of traditional utilities and modern disruptors. Marketing to this niche requires the same thought process applied to the content that's being created. You have to create materials for informed buyers that have been in the industry for a long time, but also for new startups that may require more education. Modo needed to be progressive to reach all the decision makers sitting around the table. And any good content marketing program we know starts with the customer. You need to understand who your customer is, their pains, their struggles, their jobs to be done, their desires and wants. And only then can you start extracting out the best keywords, the best channels, and ultimately the kind of content that's going to help you stand out. Since COVID ended, in-person conferences are still huge and that's where you go and fill up your diary with meetings from other people in the industry. On the other side of that, there's a lot of paid-for reports, a lot of very formal Written reports, graphs, breakdowns, either behind a paywall or kind of done on a more ad hoc basis. We've produced a report, we'll sell it for however many thousands of pounds. And so that's kind of always been the playbook. The the playbook has always been consultancies. You need to know something, you go to a consultancy. Consultancies by their very nature are shadowy. And I don't mean shadowy as in sinister. Like their whole business model is built on this idea that they're the experts and you pay them to get any of their expertise out of them. And so they don't give anything away. And so our kind of guiding principle was like, look, we trust our expertise. We trust that if we give away loads of high value content, people will still come to us for the product and the paywalled content and actually will find a bigger audience in doing that. Now, the common denominator for a lot of these legacy industries is trade shows. And despite our best efforts as marketeers to temper the appetite from leadership teams who want to spend 100k on a booth, it's often just a fact of life that we have to support these initiatives. So then the question for me becomes, how can we blend these two worlds together? How can we utilize our physical space in a conference hall to create best-in-class content? I recently attended a conference in Amsterdam, IBC, which is a big show in the broadcast media sector, and I saw something really cool from a brand called Bedrock Streaming. They had basically carved off part of their meeting space to be a lightweight podcast studio where they were recording back-to-back interviews with their prospective customers, existing customers, and partners. And I thought this was a great idea to activate this physical space by inviting members of their ICP into their booth, not as leads necessarily, but as a way to build relationships and to establish trust. After all, isn't that what this is all about? Trust, engagement, relationships? It's a content creation opportunity. A podcast next to your stand could replace that spinning wheel for bad door prizes. You could create a whole quarter's worth of content in just three days. It's an innovative, forward-thinking approach to traditional trade shows. How do we go beyond the booth and turn these physical spaces into content gold mines? Neil has some more ideas on what's possible. We much prefer the media content-led side of things. But we are in an industry that's transitioning and an industry that isn't actually necessarily completely ready for that. And so there is still an expectation 
in our industry that you have to be visible at these trade shows. But speaking live in front of an audience, that speaks to our thing of giving out high value content for free. So instead of talking about what Modo does, we, we try to give a, like an entertaining roundup of the market. And, you know, people will come to us and say, oh, wow, of all the panels and all the speeches we saw today, yours was the one that was like the most information dense or the most value dense. Because that speaks to the same thing that we believe as the, the content led stuff. It's getting high value stuff out there and kind of like videos and articles and LinkedIn posts and social media. There's a constant battle between sales and marketing. Sales says that marketing wouldn't exist without their skill set. Marketing gets tired of feeling like an order taker. Why can't we all just get along? Here's my view. Marketing's job is to help sales increase pipeline by reaching a larger audience faster that helps generate more qualified leads. The two departments must coexist. You can't have one without the other. So how do you accomplish this tool task in a traditional sector like energy? You make sales part of your marketing team. Here's Neil. The relationship between content marketing and sales, uh, Modo in particular, is really very strong. We are constantly being brought ideas for new content, for new articles, for new videos from the sales team, from our account management team. They're constantly talking to customers, potential customers, and that gives us such an insight into the sorts of things that people want to know about. And that's a really important part of the entire content cycle for us is, is actually the sales team. We have a constant dialogue of the sales team going, okay, we've had three different customers ask us about this thing this month. Well, we know we have to write something about it. We know we have to go and do some research, write the article, make the video. But you are right. We're in an old school industry and it is very rare that we get somebody sign up just strictly from our content. It's probably happened a handful of times in the two years I've been here. We get lots of inbound, oh, we were really interested by this, or we really wanted to read that report, or this is fascinating, tell us more. But it's not light touch on the sales side. And I'd, and I'd love it to get there, because for a lot of the SaaS products I buy, I'm never talking to a salesperson. If I'm signing up for a subscription, I'm trying a free version, I'm trying a demo, the sales side isn't involved, but the energy space isn't there yet. And I think you kind of have to accept that. We didn't want to accept it for a really long time, but, but ultimately that is the case. Now we understand the industry, we understand our ICP, and we understand this sales-led motion. So what kind of content do we create? How do we build this marketing machine? You heard Neil speak earlier about discussions with his sales team that helped them create interesting content. What does success look like when you do create that content? And what kind of material is going to spark interest from buyers over other types of material? How do we get C-suite approval? What kind of team do we need to pull this all off? These are a lot of questions and I put them all to Neil. Here's what he had to say. In the beginning, we wanted to do something else entirely. We weren't going to be analysts, consultancy adjacent. We were going to be doing something within the battery market that is much more like market interface interacting with the batteries themselves. And what actually ended up happening is that the guys who started it, the founders and Alex, who's now like our head of forecasting and modeling, they built a report about potential competitors and what competitors were earning and how they were earning it and kind of went, okay, so here's what we think we can do. Here's a report into what our competitors were doing. And everyone went, well, we don't care whether you can do that. We don't want you to do that, but we love this report. 
like this report is com is completely brand new. We've never seen anything like this sort of transparency on what's happening in the market. And so immediately the pivot was like, okay, people don't want to pay us to do that thing with their batteries, but they do love this report. So pretty immediately after that pivot, we realized just how powerful content could be. But there's a couple of times now we've tried to launch an ebook. And for whatever reason, uh, that ebook has never taken off, right? It's never taken off in the same way as our timely reports, articles we would publish. And in terms of like lead gen for us, it brought in a few hundred email addresses. But most of those email addresses were people who were already on the platform. We basically found this ebook had very little reach outside of our own circle already. We tried paid ads on LinkedIn to try and push it even further because, you know, we thought this is really valuable content. And again, we just found that it was something people didn't want. Now, I don't know if that's an energy industry thing. I don't know if it's just because that's a less engaging thing to do. I don't know if it's because either A, people weren't ready for it, or B, it was just actually really boring and potentially a mix of both of those things. We kind of spent all of this time and resource and energy putting together what we thought was this fantastic looking ebook. You know, we brought in people from Fiverr, we outsourced some of it, we went back, we redid it, we made sure everything was perfect, creating PDFs with links in, and then we pushed it, and while all the feedback we got was we'd just rather watch the videos. The typical lead gen playbook goes something like this. You create a guide, you gate it, and then you try and drive as much traffic as you possibly can to that landing page. Either you spend a huge amount of money on ads or you do a bunch of organic stuff. And what we're trying to do here is we're trying to gather as many email addresses as we can so that we can start doing some lead scoring against those email addresses. And once we've hit some sort of threshold or criteria, we can hand those leads off as qualified to sales. That kind of strategy for Neil failed. After digging in, they found their customers wanted to watch videos. And quick sidebar, your customers probably do too. Increasingly, B2B marketing is shifting into edutainment. It needs to be educational, sure, but it's also got to be entertaining. It's got to provide value for your ICP and give them a reason to tune in and feel motivated to learn. Not only that, you need to create content for all stages of the funnel, all the different ICPs, and one long-form guide isn't going to cut it. And no, they don't want to pay for your content with cash, credit, their email, or their time. They want it for free. And by giving it away for free, you become a go-to resource. You become the brand that people know and that people trust. Uh, the co-founders, they knew me from school and they knew I'd done some music, pop culture blogging over the years and loved writing and loved kind of explaining things. They were just like, look, we need someone to come in and kind of just stop pumping out content, learn about the industry, write about the industry, make videos about the industry. The idea was, you know, it would be the Netflix of energy. And we kind of built it to look like that you click on the platform it kind of copies the, the headline netflix video you go down you've got your carousels and it features all of our video and article stuff kind of categorized so that people can easily find it we've got a few different channels one of them is called the energy academy that's the free educational resources i was talking about where people can kind of from start to finish understand the energy market and how that works how people join the market how they operate in the market where they make money We've also got the podcast, which has been super, super successful um, and really great. I don't think it's one of those things a lot of our guests had never considered. I don't think podcasts are really a thing in the energy industry. We're starting to see more of them. 
And if they are a thing, it tends to be a couple of analysts in a room talking about the week's events. And we were like, well, no, why don't we actually just reach out? We've got such a great network of customers who have done some really amazing stuff. Why don't we just start reaching out to them? Podcasts are successful because they tell human stories, especially, I, I mean, I can only speak from the energy industry, but it's very rare that you get the opportunity to hear someone who has been there and done it, built a wind farm, or somebody who has built a battery or is coming up with this brand new technology and actually just get to hear them geek out for a little bit and to talk about their experiences and, and to talk about their point of view. And I personally love hearing people geek out about the stuff they're passionate about. And sometimes that stuff can be objectively the most boring thing in the world. But I think if somebody is super passionate about it, that comes through. And I think, I think that's what's so powerful about the podcast medium. Also, the other thing that's really powerful about podcasts as a medium is it's the perfect commute medium, right? On a bus, I can listen to a podcast. Uh, and, that's, and that's just a great thing. We didn't have very much internal pushback. We did have some sort of external stakeholder skepticism around giving away free content because it just wasn't the done thing. Our argument was that we think it's the quickest and most widespread way to build an audience and to build a brand. And that's how we'll become known. But in our industry, you know, people we would consider competitors really don't want to give away things for free. And so it can be very hard to convince people who have seen that work and seen that be a relative success, that sort of, you know, paywalling stuff or paid reports. It can be hard to convince them. But essentially, we just said, look, we truly believe this is the best way to do it. A lot of the things that we've paid for subscriptions for, these are companies who give away a lot of free content, try to do a lot of engaging content. And, and we think this will be the future. We also think that at some point, everyone will do content. We truly believe everyone in our industry, they will get there. And it'll be this kind of like race to the bottom. And eventually all that content will be free. And we figured like, let's take a risk and let's try and be the first people to put out a load of free content and to put a load of time into that kind of arm of marketing. For many service and solution-based businesses, the idea of thought leadership is fundamentally misunderstood. It's the idea that taking out a piece of advertorial in a trade magazine or paying for a panel slot at a conference once a year is going to have an impact on the purchasing behavior of clients. Newsflash, it's not. Modern day thought leadership is consistently delivering a unique point of view on the challenges that customers care about in the places where they spend time. We at B2B Better believe there is a better way for brands to win business today, and it requires taking ownership of your message in the channels that you control. Our mission is to help companies develop, produce, and distribute memorable shows that build brand affinity and generate long-term qualified pipeline. If you ever considered launching a podcast to drive new opportunities for your business, you can book 60 minutes with me for free and no obligation to brainstorm what you need to develop, launch, and run a show that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. Simply visit www.b2b-better.com forward slash podcast dash assessment we'll also drop a link to that page in the description of this episode thanks we live in this beautiful age where with so many tools on the market 
especially now that AI is taking over the world, you don't actually need a huge number of people involved to run an effective content marketing machine. There are a couple of key pieces you do need, however, and I'm going to run you through those now. First and foremost, you need insights from your customers. And usually to start with, these are being delivered to you via your sales or your customer success team. They're helping you answer questions like, what are our customers saying? What do they care about? What are their objections? What do they love? Where can we improve? All of these are questions that are going to start helping you generate ideas on what kind of content can we create that's going to be highly relevant for our target ICP. When it comes to tooling and software, you don't actually need that much. Here at B2B Better, we use Canva for our design work. We use Riverside to record our interviews. We use Descript to edit those interviews. We use Podcast Code to host our podcast and a few other bits and pieces as and when they're needed. But really, that is our core tech stack. It's not that complicated. It's not that expensive. You do need talent. You need someone who is comfortable getting behind a microphone and sharing a distinct point of view on the subjects that your customers really care about. Here at B2B Better, that's me. At Modo, it's a combination of Neil and their CEO, Quentin. Once you've got these pieces in place, you have what you need in terms of resources to start creating great content at scale. I asked Neil to give me the breakdown of what this all looks like at Modo in the hopes that it can inspire you to create a really effective content marketing machine. Here's what he had to say. We've got kind of a mix of energy experts, people who really love the energy industry and know the ins and outs of it, and what I would refer to as generalists. And I'm kind of in that latter camp. And so we've got these, these generalists who kind of our idea is to kind of package everything and make it fit for human consumption. But that all sits on top of or sits alongside rather like a team of analysts who really know their stuff. So the, the sales team will come and tell us what people want to know about. The analysts will do the in-depth analysis and then it will kind of get passed to us to package that up into articles and videos. But yeah, that whole process, if we take away, you know, the small sales team telling us what people want us to talk about, there's like five, six people involved, three analysts and then three people on the other side, including myself, kind of turning it into content. We do sit down every week as a team and we talk about what's happening. We also have people within the industry who, you know, they keep their ear to the ground. They see what's happening, what changes are taking place. Because it's a really new market, right? It's an immature market. Three years ago, there were virtually no batteries. And now we've got gigawatts of them. There's a lot of them all of a sudden. And so things are changing all the time because there wasn't really a market three years ago. So we've got people who keep their, their ear to the ground. They see what topics are being talked about in the industry, what's changing. We do some ideation in-house, but we've got like basically a stacked content pipeline. We constantly keep that pipeline updated with ideas, what that might look like. We kind of prune it and we prioritize based on times of year. But a lot of it's quite ad hoc, right? Like part of the thing of being in an industry in a market that's always changing is that sometimes you have to throw your pipeline out of the window because something major happens that you didn't see coming. And that's fine. I think we're pretty good at that. I think we're pretty agile in that sense. But it doesn't take months and months for us to produce a video. It takes a day. It takes a couple of days to write an article or a week to write an article. So in that sense, we're pretty lucky. So we understand who we're creating content for. We understand what content it is that we want to create. 
We even understand the infrastructure that's needed to create that content consistently and at scale. We're ready to go. Well, hold on. There's one question we haven't yet answered, and it's probably the most important question. What does success look like? What are the milestones that we're going to point to in order to tell our CEO and other stakeholders that we are on the right track, that we're going to deliver a return on our investment? This is the most critical component of this entire exercise to nail down, because if you have misalignment between the marketing team and the rest of the organization on success and what that looks like, that's how you devalue your position as a function within the organization as a whole. Here's Neil and how he thinks about answering this question. And the pipeline is is the main thing and that sits behind everything. And I would massively recommend, well, I mean, one thing you need to do is first and foremost, fill that pipeline with anything you think is interesting and other stuff will come up. Ultimately, success for us looks like having a large share of a market that is constantly growing, right? So the market's growing all the time. Success for us is commercial success. It's bringing revenue in the door. It's having people understand how valuable our non-content product is. Most of our content is free. The vast majority, 80% of it more. Very little of it is paywalled. And the stuff that is paywalled is stuff that's tied to our product. So success for us is catching people's eye, building an audience, hopefully growing our TAM along the way, right? Basically creating the creating the sort of content that makes people realize that like, oh, wow, this is a booming market. Maybe we should jump into it. Because ultimately, like, I think you need to go and tell potential investors. You need to go and tell old school utilities. You need to go and show them that this is a booming market, right? Like, otherwise, it's just hearsay. But if we're there in your faces going, look how much money batteries made last month, that, that is growing our TAM. And then ultimately, we're hoping that those people see the value in our product. But without that content out there shouting at them, look at us, look at us, look how great batteries are, nobody's going to come in and visit the product in the first place. There's a few metrics that we track. We think in terms of highest value content for customers and potential customers, I still tend to think that's written reports in our industry. So, the, I mean, the way we track that is a number of article reads, number of shares, you know, LinkedIn impressions, that sort of thing. We track listens. Honestly, I don't think we're as mature as we would like to be in terms of linking sort of content metrics to sales. But, you know, there is a correlation there. We know there's been a correlation there. As our content metrics improve, so do our revenue numbers, right? That's, that's been how it's worked. But yeah, we're certainly not as mature as like some in the MarTech, FinTech, broadcasting industry even, at making an explicit link between those two things. Ultimately, it's hard to measure content and there are loads of attribution problems. You may rank number one on Google for a search term, but it may have nothing to do with your audience or your product. The best place, in my experience, to get feedback if your content is working is from sales and customer success. I asked Neil, though, if he had a specific example that he could provide that shows Modo's content strategy's value to the wider team and ultimately is proving the worth of his work. Here's his answer. That has happened very recently. And it was closing a deal there. One of the bigger players in the battery energy storage space. So I'm not going to name them, but in the in the UK, they own 
a lot of battery capacity. And they had been our customers for a while, but they were kind of on the verge of churning. And we were like, well, we can't lose these guys. They're really, we thought the product was valuable, but you know, certain, certain decision makers weren't using it super often. And it just so happened that in, in that week, we were kind of having the renewal conversation. We'd written an article on what's a super hot topic in the battery energy storage industry. And essentially we're told like the fact that this article exists is the reason it's this sort of analysis that we can't get elsewhere. And that's the reason that we're going to continue with our contract and our subscription because of this analysis. And I think a lot of our customers, I think there's various parts of the product speak to different ICPs, but for a lot of our customers, that content, we hear a lot of the time from customers that they find the Energy Academy, even though it's completely free, that they find the Energy Academy so valuable in terms of onboarding new staff. And especially a lot of these companies are growing really fast because the industry is growing really fast. And they say, look, that takes so much time out of our day us not having to onboard everyone when we can just point them to a 45 minute video series. I think a lot of our customers find that really valuable and actually goodwill's not the right term, right? Because our customers pay them because we bring them loads of value everywhere. But I think part of it is the, the goodwill of knowing that that exists. It keeps people on board. It keeps our users loyal. It's like we've brought them along for the journey. They know that they can trust us because we're willing to do this sort of stuff for free and that they know that they're going to find value elsewhere. In B2B circles, one of the biggest lessons that we learn is to just ship and iterate. We're working in tech. A blog can be updated. You can change the messaging on your website in a few clicks. We have left behind the old traditional catalogs, signage, and car wraps behind us. I started B2B Better with a Zoom recording, and now we're approaching our 100th episode. And in each episode, I can identify something that we could do better. And we did do better in the next episode. I think it takes time to build an audience. Very few people are going to remember where you came from or where you started, but they'll know who you are today and ultimately recognize how far you've come. The more you build, the harder it is for your competitors to take down and the more lessons you learn along the way. I thought Neil's wisdom on what he would have done differently after starting to build Modo's media empire in the energy sector is valuable for you to hear as well if you're thinking about going down the same path. I wish... We'd done less planning, and I know that might sound crazy, especially when you look at some of the early stuff and how ad hoc it was. But, you know, at times we've sunk a huge amount of time and resources into projects and kind of making them perfect and thinking, you know, this is going to be evergreen content, so it all needs to be amazing. And the fact of the matter is, in an industry like ours, people are so unused to seeing video content, short form, high value video content. I'm not saying we could have put anything out, but we certainly didn't initially need to put the time and effort in that we did. We could have started even scrappier than we did, to be perfectly honest, and even leaner and even more agile. And I think I would say to anyone in an industry like ours that is kind of old school and is kind of legacy and they're thinking of doing anything like we've done, I would say, look, you don't need to spend three months scripting it and figuring out what the best camera is and building a set. If you think you've got the high value content to back it up, get on a camera and say it. If you don't know how to edit videos, don't spend ages learning how to make them super smooth and polished and perfect. Just get it out there. 
if you know your content's engaging, it will grab people. You don't have to be a perfectionist. Modo is about to go through a rebrand. It's a little bit heartbreaking, I think, to some of us who've been around a while. But part of what Modo did in the first place was Modo tried to be the, you know, the friendly face of battery energy storage. And so we used lots of bubbles. And if you see any of us on LinkedIn, we're all cartoons. And a lot of our early videos, they had like visual gags. I'm not saying they were very funny. Like ultimately we're analysts, not comedians, but they had visual gags and, and whatever else. And actually what we've realized is that whilst that's got us from zero to one, and that's, and that's built us an audience and that's been great and, and people like us and we are likable, I think, in the industry. In order to get from one to nine, uh, we actually have to grow up a bit. Some of the people we are looking at getting on board don't understand it. They don't understand why you a cartoon on LinkedIn. Why do you think that's funny? Why do you use bright colors in your graphs when like Bloomberg don't or like S&P don't? And so part of us is a bit of a shame because we are about to grow up. It's the next step in us being taken seriously by more people. Moto Energy has grown up. They have plans to expand their content into bigger markets outside of the UK. After all, Britain isn't the only place in the world currently building a lot of batteries, and their Global Energy Academy is a huge ambition for the company. Modo wants to be the friendly face of battery energy storage, helping upskill the industry at large. They went from zero to one quickly, but to get to 10, in their words, they need to grow up. I just hope it's not at the expense of the great differentiation they've built up in an industry stuck in its ways. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. Thank you so much for giving me your time this week. If you are a repeat listener, thanks for coming back. If you did take any value out of this interview, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review in your podcast platform of choice. It really makes a huge difference for an emerging creator like myself. Ugh, that sounded so bad, emerging creator. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it because we're here. If you want to learn more about the services at B2B Better, you can visit my website, www b2b-better.com. A huge thanks to my guest this week. See you all next week.